I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Today is New Year's Day. And it is that time that we kind of reflect back on this past year and uh, think about the things that we have accomplished and think about things that we might wish we would have accomplished. It's also a time to, to look forward and to think about what do we want to do this next year. What are some goals? What are some achievements that we want to see by the end of 2023? And so it's a time of reflection and a time of looking forward and planning ahead. And I think we ought to, to think of this uh, not just personally, but also corporately as a church. Uh, we need to take time right now to think about where we want to be and, and what do we want to do this next year to make progress toward our heavenly goals. So today's sermon, the title is Devotions of a Growing Church. Devotions of a Growing Church. And I'm just going to be brutally honest. First Bastrop is not a growing church. I mean, we just have to face the facts. Our num numbers are dwindling. Our budget is dwindling. And if we don't do something to change course, we're going to have to close those doors within the next 10 years, probably even less than that. I'm just being straight. And so we need to change course, and we need to mark today be the day that we look ahead to change from being a dying church to a growing church. And if we're going to do that, then we need to think about what is it going to take to become a growing church. The temptation here would be to, well, let's look at the world. What does the world say is key to growing a church? Uh, use the schemes of man, whatever it takes to get people in those doors. Hey, let's do it. That's called pragmatism. And that won't work. Because we are people of the book. We are people of God's Word. So we can't take our schemes from man and apply them to the church and just accept whatever kind of growth might come from that. Yes, we could fill the, the pews if we did that, but we wouldn't fill heaven. And so what must we do? We must go to God's Word. And so today I want to go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning of the church there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 as the church is coming to life and beginning to expand. And today we're looking at Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 and here in this little passage here, this little summary statement of what's going on in the church there in the first century we see these beloved words these wonderful words of truth and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved 
You see, this church was a growing church. But they're growing because they are giving themselves to certain devotions. They are a devoted church. And so today, the sermon in a sentence is this, a growing church is a devoted church. And dear church, if we're going to be a growing church, if we're going to turn the course from being a dying church to a growing church, then we're going to have to be devoted. Devoted to Christ. Devoted to these things that we see, these devotions that we see here in Acts chapter 2. You see, I firmly believe if the church is devoted then we will see increase. If we devote ourselves to the things that God calls us to be devoted to, we will see these pews begin to fill. And we'll no longer be a dying church, but we will once again be a growing church. So today we're going to see five devotions of a growing church. And today, I I was praying about it this morning. This was just going to be a stand-alone sermon, but as I was praying this morning, God impressed it upon my heart. We're going to introduce this series with this sermon, and then we're going to go back, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at every devotion individually uh, as we think about these devotions because it's that important. we got to get this. we got to understand this, and we have to apply this if we want to survive. So today we're going to look at these five devotions of a growing church and understand this is just introductory and we're going to dive deeper into it in the days ahead. But if you found your place there in Second Acts chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Now let me give a little bit of background before I just dive into this. In Acts chapter 2, the church has received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come down as Jesus promised, as we read earlier in Acts chapter 1. And as they received the word, the church went out with power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel to Jerusalem. And in one day, God took uh, 120 believers and multiplied them into 3,000 Somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 believers on that one day. And now as we move to verse 42, we begin to see how they're beginning to form and, and what's going on in the life of the church. And so we pick up here in Acts 2, 42. And they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Lord, we want to be obedient to your word. 
Lord, we want to be a growing church. We want to see your spirit move in our midst. We want to see mighty things done here. As you accomplish there, Lord, we want to see those mighty works accomplished here in our midst. So, Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of devotion, that we would devote ourselves to Christ by devoting ourselves to these disciplines that you show us today, Lord. So, Lord, touch our hearts, move us, change us, transform us, O Lord, so that you might delight in making us a growing church. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we look at our text this morning, I want to kind of give you some information here. What's going on in this text? Luke, as he's writing this letter to Theophilus, in this little paragraph here, he begins by giving this kind of a summary statement, right? He states, he makes his main point, and then the rest of the sentences following that go to explain what he says in that first sentence. So we see these devotions kind of laid out for us, or at least most of them laid out for us here in this first sentence, and then we see the explanation of these as he goes through, through the, that paragraph. And so as we begin to look at our text this morning, we see that these, this church here, they, were, they devoted themselves, right? They devoted themselves. Now, we need to understand what he means by devoting themselves. This word devotion, it's a, a word that means to continue to do something with intense effort, with a possible implication of despite difficulty. And so this is true devotion. This is, this is a, a strenuous devotion, right? We are going to get down and we're going to devote ourselves to these things. We're going to make a commitment to do these things. This is not, well, I think I want to get a little healthier this year. I'm going to start going to the gym. And I'm going to go to the gym and you go to the gym for two weeks and then you start slacking off slacking off, slacking off, and then, you know, pretty much it fades away. I, I see those people every year in the gym, right? They come in and they say, oh, I'm going to get healthy this year. And then two weeks later, they're gone. That's not what this is. They're not slacking off. This is intense devotion. I'm going to give myself to these things. We're going to do these things. And we're going to persevere in these things. If we, church, persevere in these things, we will see God move. You hear me? But we've got to devote ourselves to the things of God. If we don't devote ourselves to Christ, if we don't devote ourselves to doing the things that he calls us to do, then we're going to see nothing. There's got to be this devotion. There must be this intense effort to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. So as we begin to look at the devotions of a growing church, first we see a growing church is devoted to learning God's Word. 
A growing church is devoted to learning God's Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were there not just to hear the apostles, but they were there to learn from the apostles, to take in what the apostles had to say, to apply it to their lives. They were there to learn. This is not just a devotion to to come to the preaching service. This is a devotion to learn God's Word. We have to understand that because as the apostles, the apostles, you remember, they were the authorized teachers of Jesus' teachings. The apostles were the ones who had followed Jesus all of his life. The three years that he ministered, they followed Jesus. They were with Jesus. They lived with Jesus. And while Jesus, he taught to the masses, he came back and he really taught face-to-face, one-on-one with the twelve. And so the twelve, they have the word of God. They have the word of Christ. And they are authorized to teach that word to the church. Furthermore, they are authorized to give additional revelation. The apostles were authorized to give additional revelation. We see that as we continue on into the text there just a little bit. Notice what he says there in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. You see, the signs and wonders were these sign gifts, these miraculous acts that they were doing. And that was all testifying that they were sent by God as messengers of God. Those sign gifts had a purpose. They were to show the world that these were not just ordinary men. These were men whom God had ordained to deliver new revelation. Paul explains this on over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse um, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 12 he tells the church there the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works you see the mighty works the signs the miracles that the apostles did they they raised people from the dead just like Jesus they raised people from the dead they healed the sick they did these wonderful miraculous signs but that was not just to to build excitement in a crowd right that's not the purpose of the sign gifts the sign gifts were to to communicate to people that hey this these men are from God and these men what they speak is from God And so they were the authorized deliverers, authors of new revelation. Now for us, we don't have those sign gifts. The apostles are dead. The Old Testament prophets are dead. But we have their words preserved for us right here in this book. And so our interest must be in the book. We must be of the book, of God's Word, We need to devote ourselves to learning God's Word. And that means, one, we must be devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We must be devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. When it comes time to 
to hear God's Word taught, whether it be here in the sanctuary or up in the, in the study room in another room, right, and somewhere else where we gather together to study God's Word together. We've got to devote ourselves to being there, to being present, to learn God's Word. Not just to be a body in a seat, not just to add numbers to the crowd, but to be there to learn, to receive God's Word and to learn it and apply it to our lives. The psalmist says, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. That's what we have to do. We have to treasure up God's word in our hearts. We have to learn it. And so we must be devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word when it comes time to, for the church to gather to study God's word together. But you also need to be devoted to private devotions as well. You see, all of, all of our study time doesn't just happen here. We need to be interested in God's Word away from here in our private time. We've got to get along with the Lord. That's why I've encouraged year after year after year these reading plans. Because I know for one, I, I myself, if I don't have a plan, things are going to fall apart quickly. I need a plan. I need an organized plan of how I'm going to do things. And so I've offered up the Machine Bible reading plan for the church. And, and I love this because you can kind of customize it to, to how whatever level you, you are, whatever place you are at in your, your walk with the Lord. I mean, when I first started, I, I didn't read the whole thing, right? Now I do. I read the, I've read the whole thing, you know, two times in the New Testament, two, uh, one time over throughout the Old Testament. I've read that for several years now. That's just been a, a part of my devotion time. I don't say that to brag. You should expect that of me as your pastor, right? That should be expected reading for me. But, but as a beginner, when I first started this way back when, before I was a pastor, I didn't start reading the whole Bible in a year. I started with the New Testament, and maybe that's where you are in your walk right now. Maybe you're young and you, you, in your faith and you need to kind of spend some time with Jesus in the New Testament. So take that second bookmark there and, and make that your Bible reading plan for the year. Read through the New Testament. Read through the Psalms this year. If you're more advanced and, and you want to push further, then add as many bookmarks as you want. But get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. Make it a habit in your life to study God's Word on your own. Be devoted to private devotions. These Christians were devoted to learning God's Word. And here's the thing. When we begin to learn God's Word, not just reading it to check the mark on the page, but learning it, applying it to our lives, this is what happens. It begins to transform us. It begins to change us. Romans 12. Be renewed. Uh, I forgot it again. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is true and profitable. Right? We're to be transformed. God's Word transforms our mind. It, we don't need to conform. The world is trying to always fill our minds with mess and garbage. I mean, we got TV that we watch 
two or three hours a day of or more. And, and then we got uh, everything else out in the world that's trying to fill our head with garbage. Instead, fill your head with God's word. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by committing, devoting yourself to studying God's word. So devotion number one is to study God's word. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. James Montgomery Boyce said this, if you are spirit-filled, then you will be drawn to this book. If you are not drawn to this book, if you do not rely, if you do not really want to study it, if you say, well, you know, I look at the Bible for, from time to time, but it seems rather boring to me. It never really does much for me. You ought to question whether you're really born again. Or if you are born again, you at least ought to question whether you are filled by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, whose chief task is to bear witness to Jesus Christ, inevitably draws the people of God to Jesus through the scriptures a growing church is devoted to learning god's word second a growing church is devoted to christian fellowship a growing church is de- is devoted to christian fellowship he says they're they're devoted to the fellowship now that word fellowship when we're talking about fellowship, we're not ca- talking about, uh, you know, sipping coffee and engaging in light conversation. That's not what Luke is talking about when he says fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia, and koinonia means a close, it indicates a close association involving mutual interest in sharing. A close association involving mutual interest and in sharing. It is a close relationship in which the church loves one another, encourages one another, and bears one another's burdens. It's a participation in the life of one another. All of this is grounded in our fellowship, our participation in Christ. In fact, as we observe the Lord's Supper today, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, where Paul, he kind of explains the, the elements of the Lord's Supper, and he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? Is it not a participation, a koinonia, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a koinonia, in the body of Christ? You see, as we partake of the elements of the church, Paul reminds us that it's, it's, symbol, it's symbolic of our participation in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ had his body broken, allowed his body to be broken, his blood shed for us, receiving the penalty of our sin upon himself. And by God's grace, through faith, we participate in his, his suffering as we come under him under His saving grace. And so we participate in Christ. And because of our participation in Christ, we come to participate in one another, with one another. We have participation, we have fellowship with one another. 
Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, there's a mutual care and concern for one another as we participate together in Christ. We should participate in one another's lives. Get involved in one another's lives. You see here, we see here a, a spiritual fellowship or a spiritual participation. In Acts 2, 42, he says, the believers were together. They were together. They came together to encourage one another, to love on one another, to build one another up. Much like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20 through, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So there's this spiritual participation where we gather together to, to participate with one another, to fellowship with one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to give to one another. But there's also this material fellowship, this material participation that takes place here. Notice what he says going on there. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds as any had need. There was this mutual concern for one another. People were willingly selling their property to take care of one another. Now, a lot of people look at this passage and they say, well, that's uh, uh, Christian communism or Christian uh, socialism or something like that. That's not the case at all, right? Communism says that no one has the right to private property, and, and so you give it all to the state, and the state distributes, distributes property as they see fit that's communism socialism says oh well you have a right to private property but it's limited and, and so the government takes from the most wealthy and distributes it more evenly in society that's socialism that by the way looks a lot like our tax system doesn't it but anyway that's another thing but but this is not the case here in in the early church that was not communism. It wasn't socialism. They weren't told this is what you have to do. The apostles didn't tell them, hey, go sell your possessions and give it to the church. No, that's not what they said. But there's this certain mutual concern for one another. There's such a concern for one another. They love each other so much that they're willing to go and sell property because they see this little old lady over here or this family over here who are suffering and they say, well, I've got this field, and I'm really not using it, so let me sell that so I could go help this brother and sister out. There was such a concern for one another. They were willing to do whatever it took to take their material possessions and say, I, I'd rather give it to them so they can benefit from it. We've got to have that kind of fellowship. We need that kind of fellowship. We need that kind of participation in our church. When we see one of our loved ones in our congregation suffering. We say, well, we'll do whatever it takes to help them. 
And let me be honest, this church has gone above and beyond in so many cases time and time again. When we see people who have a need, especially in our church, we go do whatever we, it takes to help them out. That's one of the wonderful gifts of this church. This church is a giving church. But we need to maintain that devotion. We need to maintain that devotion. We need to be steadfast in this devotion. We need to devote ourselves to Christian fellowship, to Christian participation. We need to have that spiritual participation. And where does that begin? That begins, number one, in our life groups. I've said it time and time again. If you haven't been to life group, you haven't been to church. Because that's where the body is the body. That's where we love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. We, we can't hardly do that in this big a big sanctuary, right? But, but in our small groups, in those life groups, we, we can get to know one another more intimately. And we can share those burdens with one another. Man, if you're not involved in a life group, let me encourage you, find a life group and get involved. Get involved. There's that spiritual participation, but then we also need to be devoted to that material fellowship, that material uh, participation as well and that begins by simply giving the tithe make sure you're giving your tithe right we need to give what god has called us to give at at least 10 percent of our regular income needs to to go to the church so that we can support the ministry but even beyond that we need to be able to give generously as needs arise Give generously as needs arise within the church, especially within the church. So a growing church is devoted to learning God's Word and to Christian fellowship. Third, a growing church is devoted to worship. A growing church is devoted to worship. We see this, I think, in that next little line there. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now, what does he mean by the breaking of bread? It seems to indicate this idea of gathering together for, for worship. Some believe that Luke is referring here to the Lord's Supper in particular, which the early church may have observed every time that they gathered together for worship. Paul indicates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He seems to indicate that the church there, at least, participated in the Lord's Supper every time they met but they also participated in a, a kind of a fellowship meal every time they met because the early church, uh, they didn't have buildings like we have today. We have this beautiful sanctuary that we come to and we gather together for worship. But for them, they met in houses, right? They were home group, groups. They were home churches. And so when they met in people's homes, they often met and gathered around the table and shared a fellowship meal. But uh, this was a time of worship for them. This wasn't just any ordinary meal. It was a time of worship. We see this indicated further as we work on down through the text and we look at these corresponding verses on down in the text. Notice in verse 46, he says, and day by day attending the temple together, right? They were going to the temple to learn from the apostles. The apostles were teaching there quite often in the temple. So there was worship going on there in the temple and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. 
You see, this is an indication, breaking of a bread. This phrase that he uses here seems to indicate, and the first century church would have known this, it was an indication of their time of worship. As they gathered together as a corporate body in their homes to share this fellowship meal, it was a time of worship. They were gathering together to give thanks to God and praising God. They were devoted to the assembly Right? They were devoted to assembling together, coming together. It wasn't just an individual religion where I'm over here by myself and I'm just doing my own thing. No, they were devoted to come together to assemble at regular times to worship. And they were devoted to giving praise and thanksgiving to God for all that He had provided Oh, church, if we're going to be a growing church, we must be devoted to worship. We must be devoted to worship. Make a commitment, dear friends. Make a commitment to be in church every time those doors are open. My goodness, man, when I was growing up, it wasn't an option for our family. Are, you going to, are we going to go to church this Sunday? Yeah, we are. It didn't matter if we were sick. It didn't matter if there, or there was a cold or whatever. Hey, we're going to church. We're going to church. I mean, you had to be running fever, unable to get out of bed if, if you were going to miss church. It wasn't an option. But today it's become an option. It's become an option. Right? It, it, we don't really have to go to church if we feel good. If nothing else is going on, if there's not a ball game that we want to go to, if there's not a recital that we need to go to, if there's not something else going on, then we'll go to church. And so churches are closing because people are no longer devoted to going to church and worshiping God with the church. Even today. How many people are out because they stayed up too late last night bringing in the new year? You see, church is an option. It shouldn't be for Christians. We need to be here every time those doors are open. We should be eager to come together and worship. I mean, what greater privilege is there than to worship God together? Dear friends, when you get to heaven, what do you think you're going to be doing? You're going to worship. Read Revelation. Read Revelation as we've been going through this study. Every time we turn around, the, the, throne, or the throne room is filled with worshipers worshiping, glorifying God. And yet people don't want to come and worship on Sunday. What's the problem? What's the problem? There's not going to be ball games in heaven. Forget that. Quit sending your kids, your grandkids to hell showing them that baseball and football and ballets and gymnastics are more important than God. This is what's most important. Worshiping God is what's most important. This has eternal significance. This has eternal consequences. 
All that other stuff does too. Because all that other stuff is sending people by the droves to hell. Satan loves to distract us with amusement. And if the church doesn't stand against Satan's ploys and call people to worship God instead of baseball, football, hunting, fishing, and every other idle thing in this world, we're dead. And the masses will go off to hell. Skipping all the way. The church must be devoted to worship. A growing church is devoted to learning God's Word, to Christian fellowship, to worship. Fourth, a growing church is devoted to prayer. A growing church is devoted to prayer. Notice there, they devoted themselves to the prayers. He says the prayers, probably indicating, plural, probably indicating that he had specific prayers in mind. This was a, a corporate gathering of the church that they engaged in specific prayers together. And so as a church, we have to come together to pray corporately. We need to engage in prayer corporately. We need to make that a part of our church. We should be prayerfully dependent. Right? We need to be prayerfully dependent. We need to come together to pray, pray, pray. Oh, I'm thankful that we do have some prayer groups in our church. And the ladies group that meets on Tuesday mornings and the men's group that work, meets on Thursday mornings. We need more groups. We need more times of prayer coming together to pray. Pray for God's power to be used in our midst. But also we need private prayers. If we have corporate prayer, corporate prayer will ultimately fuel private prayer even more. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. If we want to see change, we've got to pray. We've got to pray because only God can change things. So we've got to pray to God for Him to change things. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He pastored one of the first mega churches in modern times. Thousands upon thousands of people came to his church there in Great Britain and London to hear him preach. So much so that the, the halls were filled and they had to break out the side windows so people outside the church could hear. One time, a, a company of young ministers came to Spurgeon's church. They wanted to see what was going on. They wanted to know the secret of his success. And so he, he met them there and he brought them into his massive church building and he showed them the wonderful beautiful sanctuary and then he said now let me take you down to the boiler room the boiler room the boiler room 
I mean, a boiler room, that's nasty and dirty and it's hot. And who wants to, why the boiler room? But Spurgeon insisted. He said, let's go down and see my boiler room. So he ushered the young ministers downstairs into a basement room and he cracked open the door and they peeked their head in and there sat about a hundred or so of Spurgeon's congregation engaged in prayer. And anytime anyone ever asked Spurgeon, what, what's the key to your success? He said, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. If we're not engaged in prayer, there will be no power. There will be no power to change anything. We must pray. We must be a praying church. Every great awakening that ever took place began with prayer. Church, we've got to be a praying church. Devote yourself to corporate and private prayer. A growing church is devoted to learning God's Word, to Christian fellowship, to worship, to prayer, and finally, a growing church is devoted to evangelism. A growing church is devoted to evangelism. Now, this is not lived in that first sentence, but it certainly is implied in that last little line there in this paragraph. Notice what he says there after, praise, after they were praising God. He says, And having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Evangelism had to be uh, an important aspect of this church's ministry. Right? How does the Lord add to the numbers day by day those who are being saved unless they are going out and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to their friends and their neighbors and their family. Paul says, how are they to hear if no one goes out to tell them? We've got to tell. We've got to open up our mouths. They were gracious witnesses. I think that's what he's saying here. And having favor with all people. In other words, they were being gracious to all people. They were being gracious witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the questions in that text there. Who is he referring to? Who's having favor? That word favor there is also, it also means grace. To be gracious. And so the question is, who is being gracious? Is it the, the people out in Jerusalem being gracious to the church? Or is it the church being gracious to the people? Well, I think in the context here, as we see the Lord adding to their number day by day those who are being saved, as you go throughout the book of Acts and see that persecution of the church is a major theme in the book, I think we can uh, assume that the, the focus here is that the Christians were being gracious to the people of Jerusalem to the non-believers. They were being gracious witnesses. In other words, when they were reviled by non-believers instead of reviling back, they were gracious. They were loving. They were caring. They were showing the love of Jesus Christ to their friends and neighbors even as they were receiving ugly words and persecution. 
They were being gracious witnesses, sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people. They were gracious witnesses. But they were also divinely dependent. They were dependent upon God. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who are being saved. You see, we need to understand that. We need to understand that. We are to be gracious, faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. We need to tell people about Jesus here in the church, out in the culture as we go out and engage friends and family. We need to be open and honest about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to lovingly share the gospel and then we have to trust God for the results. We have to trust God for the results because salvation belongs to the Lord. You don't save anyone. I don't save anyone. The Lord saves people. So we must do our part being gracious witnesses. We've got to open our mouths. We've got to look for those opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. And then we've got to trust God to convert hearts and change minds and to bring people to Christ. A growing church is devoted to evangelism we must devote ourselves to sharing the good news of jesus christ with others a growing church is a devoted church let us be devoted dear christians let us be devoted to learning god's word let us be devoted to the christian fellowship for participating in this body of believers Let's devote ourselves to worship, to prayer and evangelism. And let us trust God to increase our numbers. Trust Him for all the results. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not a church member. Maybe you're not even a believer. This message has been focused more on the church it's a message to the church, but I want you to know today, I don't want you to leave here without understanding that if you're a non-believer, if, you're not a, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, these devotions mean nothing to you until you make the first devotion to Christ. Christ Jesus died for you. He gave His life to pay the penalty of your sin in your place. He died for you. And today... He offers you, the resurrected Lord offers you the gift of salvation. It's there, it's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. Trusting in Jesus, surrender your life to Him, and He'll save you. If you've never trusted in Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this word that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for this picture of a growing church, a healthy church, a thriving church. Lord, we have gotten lazy in some of these areas. We'll just be truthful, Lord. We've gotten lazy. We need to change course. Father, give us a heart of devotion. Give us a heart of devotion to turn away from the distractions of this world and devote ourselves to Christ. To do the things that you have called us to do. 
to be faithful witnesses of, of your loving grace to this nation, to be engaged in prayer, in worship, in the fellowship of believers, and to your word. Oh, Father, give us a heart of devotion. And may it please you then to grow us. Lord, today, if there's any who've never trusted in Jesus, then Father, I pray today they would give in to that first devotion of surrendering to Christ, giving their lives over to Him, and receiving Your gift of salvation. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.